Hurry in during Ram Truck Month and discover what it truly means to drive a truck that's built to serve. Ram 3500 with an available legendary Cummins engine. Ram TRX, the most horsepower of any gas pickup ever built. And Ram 1500, ranked number one in driver appeal among large light-duty pickups in 2022. That's three years in a row by J.D. Power. Hurry in during Ram Truck Month. For J.D. Power 2022 U.S. award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Bienvenido a Kaiser Permanente. El doctor ya te puede ver. Verá que aunque eres muy activo, ahora te cansas más rápido de lo normal. Verá que a menudo almuerzas comida rápida. Verá que pones a tu familia primero y tu salud tiende a caer en segundo o tercer lugar. Y claro que verá que tienes el azúcar alto, igual que tu papá. En Kaiser Permanente trabajamos juntos para ver todo lo que tú eres y darte el cuidado que tú mereces. Kaiser Permanente, para todo lo que tú eres. Hello Cleveland, welcome to another episode of 1085 Gridiron. I am your host, Anthony Jokey. Uh, I don't have Jack with me tonight, but I do have a very special guest with us. He is an analyst at the Orange and Brown Report, and he's the host of the Browns Film Breakdown Podcast. He is Mr. Jake Burns. How are you doing today, Jake? Hey, I'm great, Anthony. How are you, buddy? Oh, we're doing good. You know, obviously it's a, a very busy time around here. Uh, the season got underway. Uh, unfortunately, on Sunday, uh, as you guys heard in our postgame show, the Browns uh, got a whooping. Uh, I don't think we really expected that. Um, Jake, as you looked at that game on Sunday and watched it a couple times, what was your overall takeaways uh, from uh, the game on Sunday against the Tennessee Titans? Uh, I guess I'd put it as an opportunity was was just really missed. I thought that there was a, a game there that they could they could compete in against a good team. I thought they were on paper better. I think most of us leading up into this thought the Browns had, um, you know, a, a bevy of um, advantages. I thought I thought that that wasn't that wasn't out of the realm of most people's opinion. Was the the advantages were were there on paper? But Tennessee did a nice job of using. A couple of different things. They used, uh, you know, an overzealous approach from, um, you know, from the Browns, which was, you know, a team coming out gung ho on 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 putting, I guess, their emotion into the game and not going to be beat around or bullied. And when that happens, you get a team that's just they're just playing really fast and geared up on emotion. And Tennessee offensively um, allowed the Browns to do that. And um, when they allowed the Browns to do that, they combated it with screens and different ways to, you know, take advantage of some of those overzealous uh, approaches that Cleveland put out there. And they did it on both sides. You know, they sat back and let let the Browns sort of beat themselves offensively. The penalties are 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 tough to talk about, you know, because there was an undisciplined game, sure, but like 
undisciplined games are at like eight, nine, ten penalties. Anthony, it's like they had eighteen. Man, it was just sort of an outlier. It's like the Browns were the, the fact that the Browns with eighteen penalties, uh, they gained I think three hundred and forty-five yards and almost lost two hundred in penalties. The fact that this was even a game for three quarters is pretty fascinating. So, um, you know, the further I get away from it, the less discouraged I am about it. I don't, I don't, I don't know how disciplined or how. Um, cerebral this team will end up being but i do know that if we see an 18 penalty game again i i just i'll be absolutely stunned yeah you know when you're making predictions i think one of the the hardest things to predict um it's almost impossible really is you can't predict penalties and you can't predict injuries and for what went on sunday um with 20 penalties uh, there were a couple plays where they had two so it ended up being 20 uh but uh, you know, that, it's just something you can't predict. And like you said, I, I would be stunned if they had more than 15 in, a game, in another game this season. It, it's incredible that um, you just saw the, the constant uh, yellow flags on the field. Um, it, very, very shocking uh, from our perspective. But you did get to see how this offense can really click on two drives. The first drive of the game and then a drive in the third quarter that made it 15-13. to 13. When you look at those two drives, um, give us a sense of is that really what we could expect from this offense week in and week out? Yeah, I mean, I think so, right? The, the script was good. I liked what they were doing. They were, I mean, you know, that's one of the few drives they did. They were staying out of penalties. They were staying out of penalties that crippled them. Uh, although I, I should say there were two actual, actually, there were two big penalties. I, I, I'm an idiot. There was, uh, on the first drive, there was, um, you know, the, 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 blindside block to, to, to Greg Robinson, which I just think is just a heinous rule. Um, so that gets called and then they make a throw to, uh, on that little scissor exchange route, they throw that ball to Higgins and he almost scores. So it took a, a big chunk play. And then if you look at that third quarter drive, they too had to make a pretty heroic play on a third and 16. I think it was after a holding call, uh, Mayfield sort of ducks out of the pocket, scrambles left and finds, finds Landry. So you just can't, but you can't rely on those things, but other than that, I thought that they were on time and in rhythm. They ran the ball well. And for the most part, they didn't get behind the chains other than one time. The difference being they were able to find a way to get out of being behind the chains in those two scoring drives. So, you know, it's – it's it's uh, you just – most offenses can't overcome first and 20, first and 25, second and 17, second and 50. Those are just – they're tough. They're tough in the NFL because you become very predictable. Other teams can – play uh you know four pass rushers seven drop coverage guys and just make you pick apart things and make you be really really um you know accurate and and if you if you're relying on that it's 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 the the margin for error strength so i was talking earlier about you know tennessee just wanted to get ahead make cleveland press a little bit and when they cut it to 15 13 then that screenplay goes 75 yards all of a sudden cleveland's got to press a little bit going into the fourth quarter and you can start to feel it's 22 13 you can feel that pressure building. You need to score here. We have to score here because you've got to score twice to win this game. And, um, you know, that's when mistakes happen, man. Yeah, I, I saw a statistic. I can't remember who had it. And if I can remember, I'll give proper credit. But uh, there were 15 out of 19 uh, first downs that the Browns had where they either ended up first and 10 or longer or second and 10 and longer because of penalties or uh, poor execution on a play. You can't have that happen. You know, that, that number is egregious. And, you know, when it comes to penalties or, um, 
the, the terrible safety uh, that they took. That stuff just can't happen. Um, how were the Tennessee Titans able to mask their deficiencies on the offensive line versus uh, the Browns, who we thought they were going to have to do the same thing, but were not able to? Yeah, that's something I I, uh, I just wrote about for the OBR. They they did uh, they did three things. They shrunk line splits, so they made um, their their offensive line play close together in tight proximity to uh, give their interior linemen a chance to um, help each other out and, and keep each other from uh, uh, you know if, if things leaked through in the middle of the offensive line, they were there. Guard center guard were able to help them out. They, they did the screen game and different varying types of screens to, to keep Cleveland on their heels about being upfield pass rushing. And then they chipped. They chipped a lot. They had um, Delaney Walker doing it. So they played three tight ends a lot. They played them. They played 12 or 12 and 13 personnel a lot with Jonu Smith. And then they have another kid, um, a funny name. I cannot remember his name, but they, they played three tight ends a lot and they chipped with those guys. They chipped with wide receivers they were just very patient. They didn't get many guys out in routes. They quick snapped on occasion so that the, the pass rush wasn't ready and set up. And they stayed out of really tough situations. Even when they were on deep third downs, it was they, they, they were third and tens, third and eights. And, um, you know, that was their plan. Their plan was to take advantage of Cleveland's aggression, take advantage of Cleveland's, um, you know, zealous nature, and, and, and uh, use that to – their advantage there sometimes where they just got beat up front and they didn't run the ball well three quarters well the browns you know if you took the penalties out of the first three quarters i'm not uh, totally unconvinced that the browns don't have a two touchdown lead I, I think that they were able to do things it's just a matter of you know tennessee was um taking advantage of the browns being behind the sticks offensively and then like like i said defensively they were or sorry offensively for the titans they were um, playing it safe, keeping nine guys in protection occasionally and, and, and making sure a body was on miles all the time and moving the pocket. So it was just a really good game plan to combat, a, uh, I would say, a lack of um, superior talent. So it was impressive by Arthur Smith, that's for sure. Yeah, and, you know, he's a, a first-year play caller. And let's talk about the, the play that pretty much broke the back of the Browns, and that was the screenplay. Um, you know, it was 15-13 to 13 at that point. And, you know, the Browns have scored. Uh, you can feel the energy coming back in the stadium. And they go ahead and silence the Browns on that 75-yard screen play that went for a touchdown. Tell, tell us what you saw in that play. And uh, was it just a play call that made that play so successful? Yeah, so they ran um, they, they ran stretch left. So they, that's just outside zone where they're extending the football out and trying to run at an angle, a 45-degree angle, and sort of then a running back can take that ball and go, he can bounce it, he can bang it into a hole, or he can bend it back inside. So they ran that run scheme, but they play action bootlegged off of it. So imagine Mariota reaching out to his left and then bootlegging back the other way, which made the entire defense redirect. And then he drops it. He turns all the way back around and drops it back to Derrick Henry on the far left side. And there just was there was one Christian Kirksey was the only player there. He uh um had, who had a realistic chance at Henry before he started going. He took the outside route to turn him back inside, which was smart. Um, a hold could have been called. Maybe he got he kind of you know goes low, and when he goes low, he gets hooked, and it could have been called, but it's, it's 50-50 at best. And um, so he gets going, and there's just nobody there. Joe Schobert looks like he might have an angle on him. Nobody takes an angle. And that's the thing about Derrick Henry is like you talk about – people talk about this in the NFL. He's deceptively fast. He's a huge guy, but – he can he can run and um, 
when he gets in the open field and is able to use his strides, he, uh, you know, he just, he just flat out ran away from, um, you know, ran away from people. And I thought the backside pursuit was terrible. If you watch the film, if you have game pass, watch that film and you're going to see Denzel Ward sort of lethargically running from the backside. And then he turns it on and sprints way too late. He's actually out in front of Henry at the end, but uh, AJ Brown gets down the field and blocks him. But if Henry, if, if, if Ward would have taken a sprinting angle the whole time, he probably stops that play. So that's disheartening. And I'm sure he's, he should be embarrassed when he's watching film, but it was the right play call. Like Tennessee ran three screens earlier in the game. I was talking to Brendan Leister about this, that, that were just they were there for the taking. They they dropped early in the in the, the first possession. They dropped one. Um, they dropped uh, Deion Lewis dropped one that would have been a first down. And then the, there's another. There was a tight end screen that they're running. If you remember the Morgan Burnett sack off the backside, he came through untouched. That was a tight end screen they had set up for a big play. And then they missed one more uh, screen to Henry. They missed early in the um, early in the third quarter. And I could just. When I rewatched the game, I could I could see what the Titans' offensive staff was seeing, which was like we're right there, we're right there with one of these screenplays. We just have to hit it, we have to catch it, we have to get the throw off, and it, and it was right there for the taking. And they finally hit one and caught the Browns in a little little blitz. And um, yeah, that's all it took, man. And, and Cleveland never really they have not over the last two three years this roster, this defensive roster. Some guys who have been here for a little while they don't feel screens well. They don't feel that I shouldn't you know as a defensive lineman you shouldn't. <laughs> at any point when you're running free, it's like it's too good to be true, man. You're not you're not turned free like this. It's just that's not a thing. They want you to come free, and they uh they didn't they didn't handle it well. So um yeah, it was just a matter of time, and they caught him in it. Yeah, you know, as a former high school D lineman, I, I totally understand when you're running free, you turn your head around because that ball is probably already behind you uh, at that point. Um, let's switch to to the Browns line. Uh, you know, we'll talk about the two tackles here in a second, and well, ended up being three or four uh, on Sunday. But you know, a lot of negativity has been thrown at Eric Cush's way, and I thought at least on Sunday he played a pretty good game. Is that what you saw as well? Yeah, yeah, I thought he played fine. He he had a couple little mishaps. I think he graded out in the mid sixties. He better pass blocking than run blocking. But that that's kind of what we knew was coming from him. So. Um, if you're looking at where the issues were on the offensive line, you don't have to look at Eric Cush. I thought he played well enough to uh, to not be labeled a problem in that situation. All right. Uh, you know, obviously we had the uh, ejection penalty from Greg Levinson. was forced Kendall Lamb in there. He got hurt. Uh, they moved Chris Hubbard from right tackle to left tackle. And they had McCray, who they picked up uh, from Green Bay, uh, play right tackle. Uh, when they made that switch, how did those two play at those two spots uh, towards the end of the game? Um, Justin McCoy is not very good, but what do you expect? I mean, the guy hasn't played. The guy hasn't played right tackle since uh, you know 2017. He played it for Brian Belaga when he got with the Packers, so um, he was okay. He had some good. Not much work at. Work at Ruckle to not be as effective as he'd hope he'd be. Chris Hubbard had a bad game at both positions, so um, yeah, I don't have anything other to say. He was just he was just bad, and which is unfortunate because they need him to be relatively good. He can't give up six pressures in a game. He can't have three flags. So um, yeah, I, I don't have anything other to say than that. He just wasn't very good, and he's going to need to be better at getting to the top. Of, he stops at the top of his drop. He has this tendency to stop. And it gets him beat to the high side, which you saw Cam Wake do him a couple times. So 
Um, it's got to get better, man. Uh, before the ejection, uh, what did you think of Greg Robinson and the way he played for the first quarter? He was fine. He, he, yeah, he was fine. I mean, he's better than McCray, and he doesn't force Chris Hubbard to go from right to left tackle. And you know, but he was fine. He didn't. He didn't have a great showing to start the first twenty snaps there. He was playing, but um, um, yeah. I mean, I thought he was. He was. It's lame enough, but he, I thought he was okay. So um, he gave up a pressure where they had a really big shot play downfield. I thought where Higgins made the the, the corner turn the wrong direction and they could have hit a, a skinny post, but uh, Robinson misses his block there. Left tackle gets beat inside and then and Nick Chubb has to step up and help. And when he steps up to help, it is uh, it ends up causing Baker not to feel comfortable enough to throw that football. So um, he was, he was okay. He's great. Robinson mid sixties. Great. Good and good and bad, but he's better than certainly better than leaving McCray out there and moving Hubbard. Like I said, um, all right, let's talk about Baker. You know, for the first three quarters, you know, he, he played okay until he started forcing things and uh, ended up throwing three interceptions, including a pick six. Um, I know there's offensive line issues, but did you get the sense rewatching it that he was kind of bailing from the pocket a little too quickly? Mayfield? Um, no, no, I, I, not necessarily. I don't. I don't think that they. I didn't. Okay, I watched it back. I didn't get the vibe that he was leaving too soon or leaving uncomfortably. So, um, no, I, I I wouldn't say that. I would say that happy feet are going to naturally happen when you're playing. You know, when you're playing behind two people that normally don't play those positions and um, some of the. But I wouldn't say that he was leaving the pocket early or any of that stuff. I did, I didn't get that vibe at all. Um, going through those. Uh Talk about those three interceptions that he had. Obviously, he was forcing the ball. Um, you know, is, is this something uh, when we get down uh, that he's going to have the tendency to do, trying to force extra, or is there a way to uh, almost control him to make sure that those throws don't happen? Um, so the first interception was just a ball he left inside. I, I didn't think he forced it. I didn't think it was a bad read. I just think he left it inside. It was a bad throw, inaccurate throw. Had it had had Odell open in the window. The other two were just like the third one was a fluke. It got tipped. It got tipped and landed in uh, Malcolm Butler's diving. It was just really weird. Kind of everybody it seemed like had packed that game in, and I'm not sure Mayfield should have been. And it was like he thought Landry was running a hitch out of the slot, but he ran a square in, and it was behind him, and it got tipped. Landry got a hand on it to tip it. But uh, um, the second one, he just made a bad read. He just threw the flat route on third and four, and, and Logan Ryan was just hanging on Landry's flat route, and he forced it. I it just He was graded above 90 through three quarters. He was playing phenomenally. I thought he was playing really, really well given the situation and then just sort of made three really bad choices. The first throw of the game probably should have been intercepted. It was tipped right into the hands of uh, – um, you know, I think it was again Logan Ryan or Dory Jackson. I'm sorry, it was tipped right into his hands. He didn't catch it, so it probably balances itself out to an extent. But I'm not too discouraged by the fourth quarter just because of the situation. That the first interception bothered me. The other two were just to me kind of like frustration plays where the entire stadium was let down by the situation. You could feel it, and they, um, you know, when it got to 29 to to 13. 
I think everybody knew it was over, and, and Mayfield just made a couple error throws, a couple decisions that were just sort of like this game packed in. And um, yeah, that's just I, I don't feel too. I feel encouraged about it. I feel like the way he's got to look at it, and the way the Browns have to look at it is he played it lights out, three quarter, twenty two of twenty nine for two sixty four, and, and um, you know, and, and a touchdown through three quarters. It's they just got to finish the fourth quarter. They got to play better in that fourth quarter and stay out in front of the sticks because there were more penalties that quarter too. It's amazing, you know. We talked about it a little bit how the, the the adversity that they had through uh, three quarters, and it's still being that close early in the fourth, and they still had a chance uh, before he threw that first interception. It's incredible, um, just the the fight that they had, and unfortunately, it just all kind of fell apart um, between the injuries, the penalties, and then the turnovers. So, um, when you're looking at that. Uh, I'm very surprised that it, it lasted that long based on uh, all the other factors that went on in the game. Um, a little bit of the defense before we get on out of here. Uh, just before the game, they announced that Greedy Williams was starting opposite of Denzel Ward. How did you think he performed in his debut? He was fine. I mean, just like just like Denzel, I didn't think their corners – I didn't think Mitchell played very well either, to be honest. I didn't, I didn't think uh, – um, they, 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 they were just beat too easily. They, they played inside outside leverage and they were beat too easily and uh, greedy tackled a little better than I thought he would. But for the most part, he was covering tight ends occasionally. And, um, you know, I just, there was nothing all too impressive on film, but he didn't break their back by any stretch, but it was, it wasn't all too bad of a rookie start. Um, I think one thing that came to a uh, shock to most of us is, uh, Jannard Avery being inactive, you know, here's a guy who performed really well last year as a rookie. Um, is it just that he hasn't found a place in Seawolk's defense yet, or or is there maybe something more going on here? I don't know. He was out a portion of camp with an ankle injury, and um, I would just say, look, I, I think your two defensive ends are different. One's a power guy, one's a speed guy by nature. But um, there's got to be a place for him. He's too good a pass rusher. And Freddie's answer today was a little weird in terms of we uh, is the coach's decision, and blah. they didn't give us any answer. And I think that's it's weird to me that they couldn't find a role for Jannard Avery to get 10, 15, 20 snaps a game. And I'm pretty disappointed in it right now. I hope it turns around, but you know, right now as it sits, I'm disappointed in where that's all gone. And I know Jannard. I have a friend who's. Um, knows him, worked with him in college, and he was surprised by it. Jannard had no idea it was coming. He showed up on game day, and there was nothing in his locker. So he didn't even know it was coming. So um, I, I don't know where that's all going, but I'm, I'm, I'm quite interested to figure out what they're going to do because if they fail to get that right, it's, uh, you know, it's a pretty big problem if they can't figure that out. It definitely raises an eyebrow when Chad Thomas is active uh, and Jannard Avery is not. Uh, but, you know, he did play okay in the preseason, and uh, you mentioned that Avery was hurt. Uh, so you know, we'll see how that goes moving forward. All right, as we kind of look ahead to next Monday night, besides the penalties and, um, you know, those, what do the Browns need to focus on? Uh, most during this week as they prepare for the New York Jets. So what do the Browns need to focus on most? I, I don't think I, – I really think they're sending the right message, which is 
we don't need to panic. I think they need to play better fundamental football. They need to be, you know, sound in terms of how they play. Um, you, you know, they can't. They can't have. The, you eliminate. You tear it off. You can't have some unsportsmanlike bullshit. You can't have Miles Garrett throwing a punch. And you can't have Greg Robinson kicking people. And you just can't do that stuff. That stuff should be self-policed and it should never happen, regardless of the Indianapolis nonsense or anything else that's happened. They, 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 there's no reason to act like that. So you have to think those things are eliminated. They won't do it again. Then it comes down to what the other bullshit, which is holding. They can't hold. They just You have to know that if someone is coming outside of you, you have to know and you have to have the right leverage. If someone's uh, you know aiming point is inside and the defense redirects outside, it's because somebody has bounced the football and you just can't hold. Like the holding stuff has to stop. They had special teams penalties again, a couple of those, which are just unacceptable. They just – look, man, I, I just don't see a way in which you can have that many penalties. Maybe they do, and if they do, that's a bigger indictment. Like I need a bigger sample size. If they're going to be this undisciplined, they're, they're just not going to win games. This, to me right now, should be brushed off as a one-off until you see um, the sample size growing. So um, – you know, my thought is it'll regress back to the mean. We'll see less penalties, and, and when you see less penalties, they'll have better offensive situations. They just need to execute up front. The, the, the Jets' defense is is, is really is, is really not. Let me think about how to put this. The Jets' defense is not nearly as good as Tennessee's. They're they're depleted at linebacker. I know. Um, uh, they're, they're missing a couple. One towards ACL. I, I haven't studied them like I need to yet, but I know that. Um, you know, Mosley's dealing with a groin. They might be down all three linebackers. So we're, we're you know, they have Jamal Adams and Marcus Williams who are good safeties, but the Browns have, this is a better, this is a better fit for who the Browns are offensively. So I, I don't think they're going to see as fundamentally sound a defense, as stout a front as Tennessee had. I certainly don't think they don't have the ash rush, the edge rushers that, um, you know, Tennessee is able to throw out there with Cam Wake and Harold Landry. So it'll be a, a, a lesser quality defensive opponent. So stay in front of the sticks, get some rhythm, and then put some pressure on Sam Darnold. If you watch the Bills game, and I've talked to some people who did, it's putting pressure on Sam Darnold pretty consistently and staying on top of Le'Veon Bell. And I think if you can have those things, um, you know, keep those things in check, there's no reason for the Browns not to beat the Jets. Just There's, there's flat out no reason. They're the better team on paper. They just have to take care of it. So we'll see. Yeah, I think when you look at the schedule, you know, besides a handful of teams like like New England and, and whatnot, uh, the Browns are the better team on paper. They just have to go out and, and prove that they are, not have any of this uh, penalty stuff, you know, um, and, and not turn the ball over. The, they're the better team on paper for most of the opponents that they have this year, and they should win uh, majority of their games. Uh, if they continue like they did on Sunday – that's not going to be the case. All right, Jake, I, I appreciate you coming on, uh, breaking this Titans day game down with us. And um, go ahead and plug everything you got going on at the OBR and your podcast as well. Um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm doing stuff at the OBR pretty frequently. Um, uh, every day you'll find something. So Sunday you'll find five big plays that swing the game. Monday you'll find quarterback great cards. You'll find a defensive offensive study. You'll see that throughout the week, and then you'll get a Friday, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. One of those days, you will get a um, 
a preview of the next opponent. So right now I'm working through a couple of those things. But yeah, that's our – and then obviously um, you can find my, my own podcast, Browns Film Breakdown, in, in, in the iTunes store too. So um, yeah, appreciate it, buddy. Uh, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Anthony Jokey, J-O-K-I. You can find the podcast on Twitter and on Facebook at 25 Gridiron. Uh, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. We absolutely appreciate it. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and on our radio. Uh, with all that, Jake, I appreciate you coming on. And as we get on out of here, uh, I'll leave you guys with this as I do at the end of every at the end of every episode, and that is Go Browns. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere you could redeem some serious prizes ChumbaCasino.com live the Chumba life no purchase necessary we're prohibited by law T plus terms and conditions apply see website for details